Good morning, City Church. How's everybody doing? You guys doing okay? You have a good fourth? Yeah, you guys have fun? Awesome. Well, welcome all of you, and I'll see all of you in just a second. I don't see anybody yet, but I just want to take a second to welcome. And if you're here for the first time, man, we're so glad you're here. And uh, my name is Keith. I'm a volunteer here at City Church. And our lead pastor, Eugene, is out of town right now, so I've been given the honor of, of bringing the word this morning. you excited about that? Yeah? Awesome? I'm glad you are. I'm glad you are. And uh, I just want to thank our pastors, man. I would not be the man I am up here today without Pastor Glenn, Pastor Eugene, being the men of God that they are in my life. And aren't you just thankful for them, just grateful for them and their leadership? Love you. Love you. Love you, Pastor. I know you're probably watching online. And, uh, but I'm excited. Hey, you brought your Bibles this morning? 1 Kings chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 12. Or if you brought your story Bible, page 193. Okay, we've been going, we've been in a series titled... The story, that's right. And uh, the story has been about finding our lower story in God's upper story. And it's been pretty amazing capturing some of the stories of what God is doing in your life, in your family, in your reality, and how your life is playing a part in God's upper story. And this morning we have a short video here of the Rivera family and how God has been working in their family. So they're actually in this service. Pretty awesome. But if you could draw your attention to the screen and check out this video. Our story. I was a single father of seven, um, confused, alone. I had to deal with abandonment issues. My ex-wife had uh, drug issues and um, didn't know where to go. And I'm the daughter of a backslidden pastor who um, left me with all of his bitterness and anger. And I had built some pretty serious walls that led me to some really dark places. But... We both believed in God, and not feeling worthy of His blessings and His favor, it really, we didn't know where to go. Or how to get to them. Or get, yeah, I guess. We were really wrapped up in lots of fear and lots yes. of anxiety. I have been praying for a long period of time for um, someone to help me get out of where I'm at. And it took me losing everything, um, losing my house, my job, moving in with my mom. <clears throat> and me, in the meantime, what no one knew is that my ultimate desire was to have a normal life, was to have a family, was to have um, a man who loved me and kids. And I found out at 25 I couldn't have kids. Joe brought our daughter Mary for VPK here and uh, was really excited about this church. Well, the opportunities that it brought our kids, that's where it really started. It wasn't until we actually came here that everything started changing. Yeah. The first Sunday we were here, everybody was so loving and cheerful and smiles on everybody's faces. Um, felt like home, felt like home. And we wanted whatever they had, for sure. Exactly. And the moment that we saw our kids and could tell that they had actually felt God. And we'd been going to church before that. We'd been going to church for about three years. And we'd learned to love Him. But to see our children actually experience love. Since we've been here, it'll be almost a year since we've been coming here. And five of our children have been baptized. Um, I can't even remember 
your church? Yes. And we officially got married. Officially got married. It'll be a year in June. Yes. And I can't thank God enough for all the blessings he's, he's bestowed on me and our family. Or City Church, because without the next steps, we wanted what they had, but we didn't know what to do. So we just followed the next steps. And lo and behold, um, here we are now, and we are really walking, um, eagerly seeking his will for our life and can see him working at every turn. So stay tuned, because the Riveras are, are up to God's work, whatever he has for us. Come on, man. Riveras, thank you for being open, man. Just awesome seeing how God is shaping our lives, people right in our church. Amen? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Hey, I want to give you the title of our talk this morning right up front. We need you. That's my title. We need you. I need you to shout just a little bit. So if you could just look to that person to your left. Look at them right, right in the eyes. I know it's a little uncomfortable. You might not want to do it. Just look at them with all seriousness and just tell them, hey, we need you. We need you. You are needed, man. We absolutely believe that here. Everyone is needed in this church. You play a part in what God's doing. And um, last week, Pastor uh, introed a man by the name of Solomon. Awesome. Five of you remembered. Man, that's amazing. And uh, so last week, we started talking about a, a man by the name of Solomon in the Bible. And, and Solomon had it going on. Did he not... I mean, you read the story of Solomon, you know, God literally hands him a blank check and says, whatever you want, Solomon, it's yours, whatever you want. And so what does Solomon ask for? He asks for wisdom, right? And so what does God give him? Wisdom and discernment, right? He gives him an incredible wisdom. In fact, the Bible says he's the wisest man to live, right? Not only does he get a lot of wisdom, but he also, also acquires a mass amount of wealth right along the way. Just to kind of put it in perspective, as the house lights are kind of coming on back there, that'd be good. I'd appreciate that. Just to put this in perspective, in 1 Kings 10, um, the Bible says that uh, Solomon received 666 talents of gold in one year. Okay, one commodity, one year. Just to kind of put that in some modern vernacular and, and currency so we can understand that. That's equivalent to $2 billion. The rich dude. Right? Not only was the smartest dude, but just the richest dude. Right? And so we see Solomon start off so well. And as Pastor talked about last week, though, we know that Solomon doesn't finish so well, does he? So I want to pick up here in 1 Kings chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read 13 verses. Are you okay with that this morning? Can you, can you put your brain on and think with me a little bit? And uh, we're going to go somewhere, I promise. All right? 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1 through 13 says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. That's a problem. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, Hittites, all the ites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts away to their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He did it anyway. Somebody say, uh-oh. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives 
led him astray. I just want to make a note here, though. Um, this was not a God thing. Okay? Uh, the design for marriage since the beginning of time, as we see in Genesis, was one man and one woman. Okay, this was not a God thing. This was a Solomon thing. This was a Solomon thing, and it really wasn't even like a sexual thing or... It really was more of a political thing that he would have all of these wives. He wanted to, to establish some treaties with different nations. And so this is more of a political thing than anything else. I just wanted to establish that. Verse 4 says, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after the other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Remember that. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable God of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. <clears throat> he did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done once again. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high, pallet, a high place for Chemosh, the detestable God of Moab, and for the Malik, for Malik, the detestable God of the Ammonites. He did the same for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had happened, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I have commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Last verse here, chapter, uh, verse 13 says, Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So here we have the story and the life of Solomon falling apart. I mean, just, just a few verses ago, a few chapters ago, he was a man that had everything. The wisest man, all this wealth, man, he had it going on. And here we got Solomon's life absolutely just coming off the rails, falling apart, devastation. And we see it unfold uh, in, in, in 1 Kings, as you read chapters 12 through 15, 12 through 16, you really get a picture of just how bad it actually gets, Right? So Solomon perpetuates and continues his life of sin. He continues making um, choices that God had clearly told him not to make. And so uh, God sends him adversaries to correct him, to kind of bring him some consequences for his actions, right? We see that. We pick that up. And then just as God uh, stated he would do, as he, he always keeps his promises, amen? Just as he stated he would do, God rips the nation of Israel out of Solomon's hand. Divides it up, 12 tribes, gives 10 of those tribes to a man named Jeroboam. We'll call him Jerry. Everybody say Jerry. And his son, Rehoboam, gets one of those 12 tribes. We'll call him Ray. Everybody say, hey, Ray. Right? And so God divides up the nations of Israel. Right? There's now a division. As you read chapters 14, you see, Jer you see Rehoboam, Solomon's son, who inherited the one tribe. You see him continue this cycle of sin. He continues the cycle of just ignoring the instruction, ignoring what he knows he should do, and just does it his own way. It continues to his son, who does the same thing in chapter 15, and it just gets worse. I mean, you read a story like this, right, and you just, you're like, okay, at some point, this has to get good. Like, this just can't be, 
I mean, it, there's got to be a hero. I mean, there, there's no good story without a villain and a hero, right? I mean, there's got to be someone that kind of, you know, comes in and saves the day. It just actually gets worse. Jeroboam, who's given the ten tribes, continues in the same cycle. And, and, and from the moment that Jeroboam decides to stop honoring God and doing what he planned him to do, 60 years had passed. 60 years later, he's paying the consequences of the decisions he made. Five kings, 60 years later, those ten nations feel the consequences of his actions. Pretty incredible. And so we see this cycle, and I just I want to use this whiteboard. you okay with that? So I want to use this whiteboard to kind of help maybe just kind of put all the pieces together and see just kind of this cycle that we see in this narrative here. So we see God appoints a leader, right? So we've got a leader. God raises someone up. In our story today, God raises up a man by the name of Solomon, right? God raises up a leader, then he raises up his son Rehoboam, then he raises up Jeroboam, and it just continues king to king to king to king, right? God raises up a leader, then he gives what? He gives some parameters. He gives some instruction as well as a promise, right? God never gives you instruction without a promise, right? So we've got instruction and a promise. God gives his instruction and a promise, and the cycle that we see here, God, God raises up a leader, God gives his instruction. Then what do we see? We see rebellion. We see sin, right? Wrongdoing enter into the equation. And then what follows, what follows sin? If we can continue this cycle here, what follows sin? Of course, we see some consequences. And then what ends up happening is God raises up a new leader. Right? This is a cycle we see throughout the entire Old Testament time and time again, and this is the exact cycle we see in the life of Solomon. Okay? Where did he miss it? Where did Solomon go wrong? I mean, you read all of his accomplishments. You read all of his mistakes. Like, where, at what point did he miss it? And I believe if we can simply answer that, where he missed it is he stopped doing what he knew he should have done. That's it. It's that simple. Right? Accomplished so many things, did so many incredible things for God, but there came a point in his life where he got off focus and just started doing things his own way. And somewhere in here, God, gives, God raises up Solomon, he gives him instruction, he gives him a promise... He sins, he messes up, and instead of repenting for that sin and getting back on track, you see him just continue this cycle until new leader after new leader after new leader after new leader is raised up. You follow me this morning? It's a cycle of people not finishing their race well. I want to bring to your attention our anthem verse this morning, though, found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1. Put that up on the screen real quick. This is therefore City Church. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, aren't we? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's good, isn't it? Come on, that's good. 
I want to give you my big idea this morning. I want to give you my main thought that's going to sum up everything that I feel God wants to communicate to you today. And it's simply this. You don't have to finish where you stopped. You don't have to finish where you stopped. We're going to unpack that, but let me pray first. God, we just thank you for this time gathered around your word. Father, we pray you would speak to us. We pray that you would speak to us with such specificity, God, in our life, Lord, where we have stopped running. I pray you would speak to us, challenge us, encourage us, and help us to leave this place changed. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have you ever done something or set out to do something where you didn't finish well? Anybody ever been there? Like you had a plan, you wanted to make something, you wanted to do something, but it didn't quite turn out the way that you had hoped. Anybody ever heard of Pinterest? Pinterest, yeah, some people, okay. It's like I see nothing but men's hands go up in the room. Like, what's up with that? Like, I know, so, I know you ladies know what Pinterest is. Now, Pinterest is good. You know, I've been the recipient of some great Pinterest ideas in the kitchen from my wife. So, you know, I like Pinterest. I, I've got no problems with Pinterest. It's okay. Um, but even better than Pinterest, though, is this, uh, this website that I recently discovered, and it's called Pinterest Fails. Pinterestfail.com. You should write that down and check it out. It's pretty entertaining, right? And it's basically these people, you know, they've got these ideas and these things that they want to set out to do, and, and uh, they just kind of put it out there of how they attempted to do something, they didn't quite follow directions, and it kind of just turned into a mess, right? Or it just didn't quite happen the way they had hoped it would. So I want to show you a few of these. Is that okay? Can we go through a few of these real quick? Put the first one up there. Okay. So this is a, a beaver cupcake, right? I mean, you can kind of put the pieces together. It looks like a beaver a little bit, right? I mean, it does with, you know, the teeth and everything. Um, but go ahead and put up the result of, of what it actually looked like. Okay, that's, that's like a Dracula cupcake. That's not a beaver cupcake, right? Just clearly didn't follow directions there. I mean, that's, how do you do that? You know, I don't even know. It's, it's really bad. And if you're here and you made that cupcake, I'm sorry. It's, wow. It's amazing. Go ahead and put the next one up there. Pretty entertaining. And so this is just a picture idea, right? Anybody with kids? How many of you got kids? Young kids, yeah, you've done this. You've just had some crazy ideas of, wow, I wonder what it'd be like to put my kid in that pumpkin and take a picture or whatever, right? We've all done this. We've all just random pictures. And so this person had an idea of just surrounding their baby naked with just Christmas lights, right? And so go ahead and put the next slide up of what actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite what they expected or thought, right? That's probably what my kids would have done, too, if, if we tried to do that. So funny. I got one more. One more for you. So go ahead and put the next one up. And this is a baby. What a cute idea, right? Just baby kisses. You know, just awesome. And uh, go ahead and put up the result of that, though. Yeah, that's more like what happens, actually. That's more, that's more of a reality right there. Smile. And they do everything else but smile. They pick their nose. They eat it. They cry. They look away. Right? Awesome. You know, and the reality is, if I could just get a little more serious here just for a second, you know, and just kind of personally make this applicable, um, we've all experienced uh, the effects of someone else not finishing well in our life. And, and a lot of others have experienced the effects of you not finishing well in your life. You know, it's just a reality in some area. Um, and, and for me, this rings true in my, in my relationship with my dad. You know, growing up... Um, you know, my dad, from the age of, you know, till I was young, my parents were divorced when I was just months old. So going up till I was about the age of 13, I remember some good memories with my dad, believe it or not. Um, 
I, I remember him showing up to my baseball games. I remember him taking me skating and taking me to the ice cream place and just having some, some okay, decent conversations with me and, and, and encouraging me and loving me, you know. But then something happened along the way, drugs and alcohol, and just things got involved in his life, and um, things begin to change, you know. And, and he didn't quite finish so well, and I'm still praying and believing God's going to, you know, continue to work in his life. Um, but, but somewhere along the way, he kind of just came off the rails a little bit. And, um, you know, the other day, this, not the other day, I guess this past Father's Day, um, you know, I, I tried to reach out to my dad, and I couldn't get a hold of him, and he sends me a message, and the message wasn't very encouraging. In fact, it was the opposite, you know, just kind of just very negative and hurtful, just to be honest. And, um, you know, my wife, she read it. She was with me at breakfast, and um, she read it, and she just kind of got mad. And she's like, how does he just think that's okay? And how are you okay with it? You know, like how that would kill me if my dad were to, were to say something like that to me or not inv- be involved in my kid's life. And, and I just kind of thought about it. I was like, you know, I don't know. I don't know why I deal with it the way I do, but I do remember a time when my dad wasn't like that. You know, I just do. I remember a time where, where he actually tried. He actually cared. So deep down I know he's got that intention, um, but just somewhere along the way he missed it, Right? And so we've all felt the effects of others in our life. I think a lot of you can probably relate with that story, but we've all felt the effects of someone, um, you know, not quite finishing well in some area and it affecting you, or you not finishing well and affecting somebody else. And so what I want to share with you this morning is two thoughts, okay, just two, just two to help us finish well. Come on, how many of you want to finish well today? All right, me too. Awesome. Put the first one up there. So my first thought that I want to share with you this morning is simply this. Knowledge is not power. I know this is a little bit counterintuitive to what you remember growing up in school. You see those picture frames that say knowledge is power. Just read a book. Get all you need to do. Right? Knowledge. And I want to kind of come at this from a different angle because... When you look at the life of Solomon, it wasn't a knowledge issue. It was an acting issue. I want to put up that verse, uh, 1 Kings 12. I believe it's verses 4 through 8. And I want to read this. Catch this. Don't, don't. Just listen to this. Verses 4 through 8. It says, your father. So, okay, so Solomon has died. Solomon has passed on. Rehoboam has now king over the one tribe, one of the 12 tribes. He's now leader. Just inherited it. Um, Solomon was a very cruel king. He taxed the people very high, worked them to death. People hated it. People hated working for him. And so the people, after Rehoboam has now inherited kingship, the people come with their plea to Rehoboam to just lighten the reins a little bit. And this is, this is, what this is their plea here in, in 4 through 8 in 1 Kings chapter 12. It says, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people? He asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He did the right thing by getting some wise counsel from the elders, 
but then did the wrong thing by taking the advice of his homies and cronies, the people he grew up with who didn't know any better than he did, and just doing it his way. This wasn't a knowledge issue. He knew what to do to be an effective king and lead these people right. And sometimes I think when we think of maturity and growth and we think of growing spiritually and we think of moving forward in our relationship with, in Christ, we think of this just increasing our knowledge capacity, knowing more Bible, memorizing more verses, reading your Bible more, having the most highlighted scripture in your Bible, looking the most holy, showing up with a facade and a fake face on at church, acting like we all got it together when we all know you don't. It is not a knowledge issue. It is an application issue. Knowledge does not equal transformation. Knowledge is a part, but I feel like for the majority of us in this room, knowledge is not the issue. It's an application issue that is the actual problem that will lead to transformation if we will allow it to. In order to win the race, you got to run, church. I just got this mental picture, though. If I could just use this illustration over here. I've got a bench signalizing a bench. And, and I've got some things on this bench, right? I've got, I've got my, my Nikes that I can run in. I run in sometimes, you know. I go running in these once a year. And... Um, I've got my gym shorts that I put on, right? I've got all the gear, you know what I'm saying? I I even got a wide-open polo shirt. Come on. Just to look sexy and look more holy, right? And I even got a water bottle just in case I get a little bit tired, right? And And the mental image I got, church, is that we have all the gear. We, we, we know the Bible verses, we, we know what we should do, but what we end up doing is we sit on the bench. Some of us even go a step further, put on the gear, never get up and actually run and do anything with it. We drink water as if we've done something because we're tired and exhausted. And then we point the finger at others who aren't running their race as if we're any better. You know, one of my greatest goals in life, I'm a dad of two kids right now. I'm a husband. My wife's right up here in the front row. I've got a daughter named Ella. She's four and a son named Liam, and he's two. Fun years. This is a picture of me and my daughter recently. At uh, She had a dance recital, and we went to it, and she did amazing. And um, that's my little girl. One of my greatest goals in life, if I could just be open with you, and I actually wrote this down a few months ago um, when I was thinking through kind of what God is calling me to do, putting together just kind of a, a mission statement for my life. One of, the, one of the things that I want to do in my life is raise my kids in a way where I enable them to trust and understand the love of our Heavenly Father and not hinder them. Because if you're, if, you're if you're a parent in this room, if you are a parent of a young kid, an older kid, or whatever, you have the ability to parent in a way where you can make it easy for your kids to trust in their Heavenly Father 
by being a father, an earthly father, that they can kind of see a picture of their heavenly father from. And so I, listen, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes all the time, but this is one of my goals. But, but what you, you know, in order to actually do that, though, sounds great, right? Sounds amazing. But in order to actually do that, what's required to build a relationship with my daughter where she feels loved, she feels encouraged, she feels like she can come to me with anything, what's required to actually see that happen is me spending some one-on-one time with her. And what I know is that does not happen unless I plan it. This is something the Lord has been convicting me of, is that I need to plan for that more. I need to, I need to, I need to spend more one-on-one time with my kids, both of them. I know. I've read books. I've listened to great teachers. I've listened to great teaching on how to be a successful dad. I mean, I know a few good things. I'm not perfect. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I make mistakes. It's not a knowledge issue, church. This is an application issue. You can know all the things that you need to do in life to get ahead and fulfill what God has called you to do, but until you take one step forward and actually do something, all of that is pointless. Because transformation comes when we act upon what God has already said. So my question today before we go to my last thought is this. What is the one area in your life that you have stopped running in? What is the one thing that God is calling you to do now? It can be spiritual. It can be reading your Bible. It can be spending more time with your kids. It can be not yelling at your wife. It could be showing up more consistently to church. It could be serving, getting involved. It doesn't have to be some huge thing, but what's God calling you to do that you know you should be doing and you're maybe missing out because you're not doing it? What's the one thing, church? Here's what I know, okay? We're all in this together and we're all on the same page on this. There's no one in here that's perfect. There's no one in here that's doing everything right. And all of us have stopped running the race at some point in some area in our life. God has spoken specifically to me about a few things, but what is God speaking to you? Where have you stopped running? My second idea and thought is my main idea and thought, which I want to end with, is simply this. Now that we have established that we've all stopped running in some area of our life, it is imperative for us to know that you do not have to finish where you stopped. Come on, this is so liberating, church. You do not have to finish where you stopped. You might have messed up. You might have missed the mark. You might have done some bad things to your kids. You might have not have been there for the last 18 years of their life. You might have made some mistakes in your marriage. You might have been a bad co-worker. You might have been a bad boss. You might have been just not representing Christ the way that you know you should have or serving or giving or encouraging or loving people the way that you know that God has called you to do wherever you're at in here. But don't stop there. Don't finish where you stopped. I want to highlight one more scripture here. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 6. It says, So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, did. Here's where it gets so encouraging for you and me who have missed it. Somehow, somehow, David became 
the reference point of righteousness with God. Somehow, David, if you read the story of Solomon, I mean, just in our text reading the 13 verses we read, I think it was in there three times. It says, David did not follow the Lord completely as the, as, as, or Solomon did not follow the Lord completely as Solomon his father did, or as David his father did. How did David somehow become the reference point of righteousness and faithfulness and doing things the right way? Because if you know anything about David's life, he was anything but that for a good part of his life, right? He had an, an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, and he had you know, planned a premeditated murder with her husband Uriah, told lies, and did some incredible sinful things in his life. How did he get to a place, though, where he is now considered the... the the reference point of righteousness. How is he the model? How is he the... How is he it? Here's the thing I want to share. God raised up a leader. God gave his instruction and promise. David sinned. There were consequences. David did one thing that these other kings like Solomon, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, and so many of the people in the Old Testament didn't do, though. He repented. And he kept running his race. There might be consequences for the things we do. In fact, there probably will be. You make a wrong decision, there's there's consequences. You make a right decision, there's good consequences. We know this, right? We teach our kids this. We live this way. But even in the midst of that, even in the midst of the consequences or things that might come our way for our actions or inactions... If we can maintain an attitude of repenting and running our race that God has called us to do, even when we mess up, even when we fall, even when we make a mistake. David made some mistakes, church, but he kept on running his race. Where have you stopped running? Where have you stopped running? Where have you stopped pursuing God and running the race that he has called you to. Therefore, church, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We need you, church. We have never needed you more, in fact. There's so many people that are dying and lost in our city, in our region, in our communities, in our cul-de-sacs, in our schools, in our workplaces. We need you to be you and run your race. I want to read one story here. Um, If I could, it's pretty remarkable. Some of you may have heard of him. Um, John Stephen Aquary. Yeah, he he ran in uh, the Olympics in 1968. This is actually a picture of him here. Kind of blurry, I'm sorry, but that's uh, him in his latter years. and That's him running. You can see him with the knee brace on. But I just want to read you his story here. Aquary was competing in the Olympic marathon in Mexico City. Approximately 19 kilometers into the 42-kilometer race, there was jostling between some runners, and he fell pretty badly. He wounded his knee and his shoulder and hit the pavement hard against the pavement. He wounded his knee and hit his shoulder hard against the pavement. In fact, his leg was bleeding, and his knee was apparently dislocated. Medical staff urged him to withdraw. However, Aquani continued running. He actually, actually, it was a mix of walking and slow limping, run, a slow limping run at points. 
He finished last among the 57 competitors who had, who had completed the race. The winner of the marathon finished in 2 hours, 20 minutes, 26 seconds. A query finished well over an hour later at 3 hours, 25 minutes, 27 seconds. By then, the sun had set. There were only a few thousand people left in the stadium. But of course, as he finally crossed the finish line, a cheer came from a small crowd. A television crew was diverted from a medal ceremony and caught, his courageous, caught this courageous man's agonizing finish. Then, interviewed later, he asked why he ignored the advice to pull out and continue sprinting in pain, and he stated, My country did not send me 10,000 miles to start a race. They sent me to finish a race. As a matter of fact, of the 75 who started in the 1968 Olympic marathon, 18 others did pull out. And really, no one remembers the name of the winner. But we remember and honor Aquary because he finished the race in the most difficult circumstances. God has not only called you to run your race, church, because that's your assignment. He's called you to run your race and raise your kids and be a godly co-worker and be a good husband and a good wife. He's called you to run your race because we need you. The body of Christ needs you. You're running more than, more than just your calling. You're running for the body of Christ. I love that. My country did not send me 10,000 miles to start a race. It sent me 10,000 miles to finish a race. I feel like there's some people in here today. You feel like you're too old to be still still be qualified to do anything that would amount to any good and have any significant impact and effect on this generation. There are some of you that you have, you have withdrawn out of the race. You've accomplished some amazing things. You've seen a lot of people saved. You've, you've led small groups. You've done some amazing things. You might have stood on a pulpit at some point and preached the word. But at some point along the way, you withdrew yourself from the race thinking that you could not have an impact anymore, not knowing there's young guys like me that need you, sir. We need you, ma'am. We need you, mom. We need you, dad. I want you to catch this thing. and I'm, I'm just about done. I want you to see this last point. For those of you that are there, Solomon where everything came off the rails for Solomon was in the latter years of his life. He had built the temple. He'd become the wisest man. Wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, Songs of Solomon, lots of Proverbs. A lot of that Bible you have sitting in your lap right now. God used this man to accomplish some incredible things. Somewhere along the way, though, he withdrew himself from the race, thinking that his time was over. Listen, you might be in here today feeling like you are too old. Your, day, your best days are behind you. You need to run your race. There are young guys in this church like me, young parents in this church that need some of you older people to step up man, and show us the way. You might have messed up. You might have not have done it perfect. Listen, run your race. There's some of you in here, man, and you made some significant mistakes in the way you raised your kids, and, and you've made some mistakes, man. I understand that. You've got a race to run. Where have you stopped running? What area of your life have you withdrawn, took the easy way, 
the more comfortable way out. Instead of allowing God to use you to advance His kingdom, make a difference in somebody else's life. You're not too young. You're not too old. We need you. Somebody say, we need you. Come on. So if you could bow your heads across this place. What is God speaking to you today? I want to give you a moment right where you're seated. If you could, just don't move. Um, just, just don't get distracted by the people around you. Everyone's with their head bowed and eye closed. Just for a moment of reflection and thought right now. I just believe in this moment right here, right now, God is speaking to some of you. There's some grandmas in here. There's some, there's some granddads in here. There's some moms, some dads, some young teenagers that are in this room right now. And God is speaking to you because you have withdrew from the race that God has called you to run. What's the one area that God is calling you to run in again? God speaking to you today, church? It might not, not have anything to do with my message or anything I said. What's God saying? God, I just believe, I just believe, I believe, I believe, I believe there are some people in this room, God, if it's only one, it's one. God, I believe there are some people in this room, God, who are making a decision in their life right now to get up off the bench and get in the race and run. God, some of them are running crippled. God, some of them are running handicapped. God, some of them are having to crawl their way towards you, God. Some of them are running hurt. Some of them are running in pain. Some of them have braces on and, and they're scraped up and they're beat and they're battered and bruised. And some of them are, are hurting. But God, I just believe there's going to be someone here today that makes a decision to not withdraw from their race. But God, to keep running, to keep being faithful, to keep serving, to keep loving, to keep giving, to keep showing up, God, to keep raising their kids, to keep loving their wife, God, to keep making a difference for you. God, speak to your people today. And help us respond, God, not in, not in this service today, but God, help us respond when we get home today or we get to work tomorrow. Help us respond then. You make me brave. And you make me brave. And you call me out beyond the shore into the waves. And you make me brave. You make me brave. And no fear can hinder now the love. Thank you, man.
Keith a huge hand for that. It was great. Great job. You can be seated right where you are. And our ushers are coming forward at this time. We're going to receive this morning's tithes and offering. There are many ways you can give here at City Church. You can give online at OrlandoCityChurch.com. You can also use the offering envelope that's right in front of you. And also, for all of our second and third time guests, uh, drop your connection card in the offering bucket when it passes you in just a second. As you're preparing to give, I want to give you this month's scripture verse found in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. If you're new to our church, we kind of focus on one scripture verse for a month. We try to memorize it. So the first week, I'm just going to say it to you. You're off the hook. All right. But next week, we're going to all say it together. All right. Uh, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Isn't that true? When Christ comes in our heart, we find ourselves really believing that. Not just saying it, but we really believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. I know for my wife and I, we really want to approach the relationships that are around us in a way that we give more than we receive. Just that we, don't, we can't always do that. Some people have way more means than we do. Some people are just able to way out give us. But our heart as Christ followers is that we want to put more. And it's not just my finances. It's just and we want to give in our energy and our emotion. And we want to love those that are around us, uh, especially starting with God. Amen. And I want you to know your giving makes a difference here at City Church. In fact, this last week was incredible. Can we put up a few photos? Um, this last Wednesday night, we had a couple hundred people out here at the yard for our July 2nd uh, kind of hot dog party, Independence Day party. And see a couple pictures there. And, and it was just a blast. And while we had that, we had 52 students go to camp this last week. And so a couple of students. There's a group there under the pavilion. And then you see this, this night was so powerful. There were about 500 students in there praying for our state. It was just, I'm telling you, it was just amazing. And, and if you ever want to go to camp as just a counselor or something, I'm telling you, as, a, as, a, as an adult, it is life-changing, those services. They're, they're incredible. They're powerful. It was just uh, unbelievable. And for all those that gave so that our students could go to camp, I just, on behalf of all of them, I want to say thanks. And the $200 it, it takes for one of those students to have a, all expenses paid, camp experience, um, they are never going to be the same. And the stories that we got out of there um, were just unbelievable. So uh, thank you guys. You guys are making a huge difference. And let's give today. I want to pray for your offering. And then I'll show you a quick video about something we have exciting coming up in the fall. Father, thank you, God, for the gift and the giver this morning. And Lord, we hold in our hands our hard-earned money. And God, we trust you. We put you first. So we believe it is more blessed to give. And it is to receive. And you've modeled that, God, more than any of us could ever. God, you sent your only son for us so that we may know your love and your grace and find mercy and redemption in you. And Father, I speak your blessing over this offering. Multiply it so that your name can go to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Kristen Hayes, the kids' pastor here at City Church. And I have some friends with me today. Did you know that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others? This fall, we have the opportunity to provide 225 elementary age kids with a brand new backpack filled with school supplies. Pretty awesome, right? Yeah. Would you be willing to help? On Sunday, August 3rd, we will be taking a special offering for our backpack giveaway. It's pretty simple. $25 will give us two bags. $50 will give us four bags, $100 will give us eight bags, and so on. Would you be in prayer with your entire family to see what you can give? We're asking everybody to give whatever they can give. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Bye. Bye. See ya. That's our kids' pastor, and um, 
just want, how many were here last year that we did this for the first year? Wasn't it incredible? And if you could just envision, there's these little fourth, fifth graders that are walking around with these little city church bags on them. And, and uh, you know, we got together as a staff last year. and We just felt like, hey, what can we do back to school? Um, how can we make an impact in our community? And when, uh, when our staff came back to me and they said, hey, uh, our community really needs backpacks. I thought, really? Backpacks? Like, are you serious? Is that really, is that really the, the need? And hands down, that was absolutely the need. And so we as a church said, hey, we're going to at least do 200 this year. So listen, do your part. Pray about it. Talk to your family. Maybe you guys can do one bag. Maybe you guys could donate a little bit for school supplies. However you'd like to do that, that's totally up to you. And uh, it's going to be a huge Sunday. We'll have a kind of a back to church, back Sunday. If you were here last year, we're going to hand out a bunch of backpacks and just help our community. All right, cool. So just be thinking about that. All right, God bless you guys. Have a great week, okay?